And I then sat and wrote for a little bit. I was like, just have, just have to get this done. Like, what, what's the point of doing it if you're not going to send it out there? It just doesn't, it doesn't mean anything if it just sits on your desk because it doesn't have any value beyond the time you've put into it. And it doesn't impact anyone. It might not impact anyone, but you never know until you do it. The influential marketer Seth Godin often talks about the importance of shipping our work. Shipping is about telling others, here, I made this for you. It's simultaneously an act of generosity and courage to put our work out there for people to see. Today's guest is my friend, Andrew Speer. Andrew wears many different hats as an entrepreneur, author, and designer. He currently works as the relationship manager at PCA Law and lives in London, England. We cover a wide range of topics, including Andrew's experience publishing his first book, The Six Day Business, working through imposter syndrome, and how being deliberate in things big and small is his key to pursuing his ikigai. I'm your host, Peter Nakamura, and without further ado, here's my conversation with Andrew Spear. Andrew, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Peter. It's, uh, it's nice to be here and see this uh, come to life after talking about it for a couple of years, I guess. Yeah, it, it, it's been a while since this idea was planted and, and grown to, to this point now. And I'm really grateful that you're here for um, this conversation because uh, we met when we met uh, when we worked at Actionable, the, the technology startup. And um, I, I really saw you as um, a kindred spirit in many ways, as somebody who loves growing, loves learning and um, has this kind of growth mindset around what your potential is and what you can continue to do. And you really have this desire to make an impact in the world, you know, a, a deep a deep soul, if you will, to, to do great work uh, for others. So I thought you'd be a great person to talk a little bit about Ikigai, what it means to you. Perfect. Looking forward to it. You have traveled quite a bit around the world and adventure and exploration is it seems like a, a deeply embedded value for you and tell us a little bit about you know where where this comes from uh your background and and how um how this idea of adventure has has come about in your life yeah uh i so i'm you know i'm american by birth uh, i laugh about saying that quite a lot because you know I, I am still american you know i've got a passport uh but i also have a have a british passport and so you know, my parents moved over from the States to the UK when I was six. And so very early on, you know, picked up my life. I say picked up my life. It was a very small life at that point and moved, moved to the UK. Um, and before that, actually, my parents had lived in Hong Kong for a while, for about a year and a half and, and traveled around the States and lived in different areas. And so I think from a very early age, the thought of you know picking up and moving or just going somewhere was not a, a strange one and I you know I, I know you can relate to that as well and and I think there was that feeling of yeah if you if you want to go live somewhere else just go do it it's not that big a deal you can always come back you know like with anything you can most of the time if you go do something it doesn't work out you can always go do something else uh, just in a different country and so you know spent school and university in the UK before moving to Dubai a week after I turned 22 so moved to Dubai, um, it, and it was it was going to work for for some friends. So it wasn't you know it wasn't a complete mystery what I was going to go do, but it was just sort of a yeah go go try it. Um, and I think as part of that role, we were covering the whole of the Middle East. Uh, the marketing team I was working for, the team of two, so I guess the smallest team you could possibly be uh, working for 
pay group and we covered the whole of the Middle East. And so I traveled for work and I traveled, you know, 13, 14 countries a year for two, three, four years, both for work and fun. And so I never thought of it as a big deal. It wasn't a you know trip every year. It wasn't that, you know, you had to wait. Just go do, just go do something. And I try to build it into my business travel as much as possible. And in that way, I've seen a lot for a very small amount of money, personal money, you know, company covered flights and stuff and attack an extra day on. So I think that's it. It's uh, adventure doesn't have to be a three month trip across, you know, and certain mountain range here. Uh, and, um, Maybe you can do that in, in editing, uh, but uh, you know it doesn't have to be a three-month epic. You know it could be half a day spent, you know, going and seeing the pyramids after a trip to to Cairo, something like that. So adventure you can build in every day. Yeah. What? Um, so you you have a lot of experience going to different cultures, different countries. Um, you know what makes for a good adventure? What fulfills that? tank in you when you travel to say okay that was a good trip for me i think it you know i've traveled a lot by myself but the best trips have always been when so i travel by myself or i used to travel a lot by myself before i met my, my current partner now we travel together all the time but i used to travel to go see people so i'd rarely just go traveling and go check out new places i'd go see new places because i have friends who are living there and I have friends around the world because of living in Dubai, and I was friends with a lot of people at the international school near me. And so I'm thinking of you know a couple trips, you know Hong Kong when when I went when I lived in Dubai, um, that was a great trip. Went to see two friends, one from university and one from school, both lived there, didn't know each other, but had great times with all of them. And it involved really interesting people and spontaneity. I the more I've gotten older the more I realize you need to structure spontaneity or have the structures in place to create spontaneity, which sounds very, very counterintuitive. <laughs> right. Uh, but when I lived in Romania and I started my business, I didn't speak the language. I'd just been made redundant, started a new relationship, moved in with Andre, and we're still together, you know, started the business together. And I sort of, I sort of see it as a, if you have no structure at all, everything's moving and it's very tough to build. If you have a structure, you can then afford yourself the luxury to take risks and be spontaneous. And I don't know if you can relate to that at all, but I find that if you're being spontaneous while well, everything's fucked, I don't know if you're supposed, sorry, I'm supposed to swear in this podcast, when everything is up in the air, uh, it's difficult because it's just like you're just doing something else that's chaotic. But mm -hmm. if you have you know, a routine that you're in, you're thriving at work, you have great relationships, and you go, hey, I'm just going to go to Paris for the weekend, then that's spontaneous. If everything's chaotic, I don't think it's spontaneous. Um, and so I think those trips where you can go and see people, you have the base where you're, when you're there, and you can go around, and things are going well, that's really what I've tried to work towards. Um, and so the Hong Kong trip, there was a lot of spontaneity once I got there. Mm -hmm. And then another trip was with some friends who <laughs> was in Dubai and I met them at a concert. I knew them a bit before, but I met them at a concert. We're on the beach in, in Dubai and they go, Andrew, what are you doing this weekend? And it was, I think it was Friday at that point. So what are you doing the following weekend? I was like, oh, I've got no plans. He's like, all right, come to, um, come to Nepal with us. I was like, yeah, sure. Let's, let's do it. <laughs> and it had been a crazy work week. I was exhausted. I was running events and so on. I book my flights, I think, for the Wednesday night. I call him on Tuesday or Monday. And I'm like, Jamie, <laughs> what are we doing in Nepal? <laughs> he goes, Andrew, we're bungee jumping, white water rafting, 
and abseiling down waterfalls. And I was like, it's like, oh, oh, I, I've never wanted to do any of those things. He's like, yeah, me neither, but let's go do it. And so, yeah, I went to, went to Kathmandu and drove three hours up into the mountains of Kathmandu and bungee jumped off of a, a suspension bridge. Um, but anyway, that kind of thing. I was in a good place in my career at that point, having a good time, enjoyed life. And then I was like, I had the money and time and structure to go, yeah, fine, let's go do it. Mm-hmm. And we don't have the money and time and structure. You know, when I was at church, my tail ended actionable where I didn't, you know, I didn't um, have as much money because I was working half time. I didn't have the structure because I was working at home. It's much more difficult to then go, yeah, let's just go do this because everything's a little bit gray. I don't know what the exact word would be to describe it, but a little bit uh, foggy or murky or I, uh, I, yeah, I'm not sure if that makes sense or not. Yeah, no, it does. It feels like when you do have those resources and the flexibility, the gears can move faster. Whereas if, if you know, you're restricted in some resources, then it makes the whole gears kind of shift a little bit slower. So mm. I, I totally get that. Um, spontaneity sounds like it's important in your life. Um, does that, does that show up for you on a regular basis? Uh, aside from travel or is it do you reserve it as an opportunity to be spontaneous when you have that travel and adventure time carved out yeah i think it's it's more when traveling um i know under would like me to be more spontaneous and do more you know do more things like that when we're here in the uk um but um yeah i think it's I don't know why I don't do it as much when I'm at home, um, but I'm more willing to do it when you're abroad. I don't know why that is, but uh, it is something more around travel and adventure, mm-hmm. I think. And I use that word adventure lightly. I don't think I'm going on adventures, but you know, doing some fun, fun traveling. So, Was there a particular travel story or an experience you had that was really formative for you? There's something about travel that is formative for me, but I can't think of a, a specific example. So what I mean by that is I will travel a lot. You know, I've been to I've been to the states three times this year already. I'm going for a fourth time in September. Been to Portugal twice. Just got back from France on Sunday. Went to Cyprus for a wedding. Like you know, this is in what say eight months. So a lot of travel. But what I find happens is long haul flights are what cause me to make changes. I, I was trying mm. to explain it last night when I was talking to a friend, and it's not go. It's it's not as much going there as coming home, and it, I don't know what it is. Maybe you're tired from your trip, you've had some fun experiences. You're coming back to I say business as usual or life as usual, and you sort of you reflect on what's going on in your life, and almost I don't know if you're tired of your own crap or you've hit a wall or you've you know you've gone actually this really needs to change. Mm. I've gone out of the situation. I'm coming back and I'm going, actually all the ways I was quantifying this to myself before, not quantifying, um, justifying this to myself before is actually just crap. So you need to make a change. Um, and that happens a lot on a small scale and a large scale. Sometimes it leads to lasting change, like a career change. Sometimes it lasts for a month and you go, I just have to get in shape after eating all that crap. And you then go, 
you know, it works for a month and then you sort of come back a little bit to the old habits, but you've maintained some of them. So I find that, and it doesn't have to be a long haul flight. Sometimes it'd be a short flight. And I don't, I think it's a combination of tiredness and your barriers breaking down and time to reflect, you know, especially on those short flights where you don't have TV to watch. Hmm. I, I don't I don't know what it is. And I don't know whether you've experienced that before, but recently that happened, you know, it was in January coming back from my cousin's wedding in the States in Utah which is funny, it was a, a Mormon, Mormon wedding. Um, and coming back from that, I thought actually, yeah, it's time to, it's time to make a change. Um, again, I was working with, at Actionable and, and I was working half time and it was, it was getting tough to, mm-hmm. to work by myself. And I was like, I, yeah, I need a change. And so that kicked off a career change, not a career change, sort of a, cause it's, I'm still in the same field. But it was, you know, a, a new business to go work for a new business. It turned out I went to work for a partner of Actionables, so I'm still involved with Actionables. So it worked out, worked out well. But it was like, yep, yeah, all right. I'd been talking about it, thinking about it. Time to do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there, there's something interesting about being on a plane because I've had exactly what you're talking about, where it's kind of the drip, drip, drip of the bucket finally overflows on that flight back, and there could be a couple of reasons just off the top of my head. One, you're basically kind of confined to this small space, hurling through space with no distractions. So you're just literally yep. stuck with your thoughts. Um, like you said, no TV, uh, no major distractions. I guess you can read a book or a magazine, but you're mainly with your thoughts. Can't um, check your phone as well, you know? Yeah. There's no, you're not doing this all the time. Right, right. And then the other part is the act of moving somewhere and especially back to where you started is an opportunity for reflection. So yeah, it's interesting. It's not the first time I've heard plane trips being a really uh, productive or reflective space. That's Mm. a really interesting insight. I'm rarely productive on planes. I'm more (laughs) reflective. Yeah. I almost always read or watch movies, but it, yeah, it it does come, come away from them with, different thoughts so yeah yeah um speaking of reflection uh something that you know i always admire with you as a person is just to strive to get better um and as a fellow man um we've had conversations in the past about what it means to be not just a better person but a better man in our life um to our partners to our friends to our colleagues um Talk to me a, a little bit about, you know, what it means to be a better man for you and, and how you're thinking about that, especially in today where there's a lot of expectations around, you know, traditional masculinity and, and how you're supposed to be and that kind of stuff. And I know, mm-hmm. you know, you have, uh, you have a really good perspective on it. So I'm just curious what, what's on your mind these days about this. There's a couple of things that were highlighted actually recently to me, um, at work and, um, I've in the past I've been described sometimes as flippant. So, you know, I'm, I rely a lot on my wit and quick thinking, you know, I'm a fairly quick thinker and can respond, you know, rapidly with a retort or a sarcastic joke, which I'm sure you've seen in the past. And, and, um, it came to light recently that sometimes, you know, those behaviors are, are, are challenging in a, in, in an office. Um, and actually, you know, 
since March is the first time I've been in an office for four years, I think something like that. Yeah. Four years almost. Um, and so, you know, at Actionable, we used to work virtually, of course, as, as you know, but other people might not know. So we get together once, twice a year and it'd be fun. But you know, those, those be, and, and that, and that's a quite short, intense time that you get together for three days and it's fun and it's exciting and it's energetic and you're exhausted. But, you know, you spread that out in an office and, you know, those comments that I make sometimes offhand, not, you know, with an unintended consequence can be picked up by someone in a way that is actually, you know, I think it was described to me as I've got good intentions, but sometimes the way it comes across is is bad. And so some of these jokes that you make and, you know, sort of staring, talking at your screen or looking at your screen, but then making a joke off the side of the desk that you're not engaging. And, and, you know, so it's being conscious of the way that you, um, come across in communication, I think is something that I've always understood the importance of it, you know, sort of the EQ side of things, the emotional, I don't know what the Q stands for. What's the Q stand for? Uh, quotient. quotient. Yeah. Quotient. Uh, emotional quotient. Um, you know, I've been always been very aware of that, but it's, you know, it's, it's just that constant, as you said, becoming a better person, a man or whatever the term is that you want to use, but it's just, you know, you still have a long, a long way to go or, you know, you're, you're recognizing that you're a good person you are i am a good person i believe i am but also that you can work on things and how do you do that and how do you make sure that you are being inclusive and what does inclusive actually mean diversity of thought we have a very diverse um team and diversity of thought as well um and one of my new colleagues uh is a um, sort of a female leadership specialist. And so she's recommended a couple books recently, one called Invisible Women, which I've been reading. And just, just again, I thought I was aware and I'm not as aware as I could be because, you know, even, even things like how cities are designed or, you know, even things of how high shelves are, you know, shelves are not designed for women. You know, the top shelf is very, very high. And so even things like that and you go, Okay. Yeah, it's a systemic change that really needs to happen. It's you know, there's a lot of these things that we're working on. Actually, there's core institutional foundations that have to change for for this sort of large scale change to to happen. So how can you actually help that? You know, without damaging it, without being condescending, without you know mansplaining, and how you know what's the definition of that, and how do you step over the line? So it's you know, it's um, it's a constant thing. I think again, like anything, it's just tiny. It's tiny steps. So it's okay. Got some feedback reflect on it. I have a list of about six or seven things that, you know, behaviors that have been noticed that need to be shift, not need to be shifted, but it would be better if, you know, if you worked on them for, to, for the, for the culture we're trying to build. So how do you build on those? And I, you know, I'm, I'm generally pretty good at taking feedback on and, and adapting very quickly to it. So it's those tiny little steps in different parts of the life. And, you know, listening to me, you might think, oh yeah, he's, you know, he's, he's very good. He's structured, he's traveling, he's doing all this, but like still most days I feel like actually I, I, I don't want to work out and I don't and then you know eat crap and then you know and so you I think that's one thing to keep in mind is whenever you're I'm just rambling now but when you consume anything and you're viewing someone from the outside you don't know what is going on with that person you know that person seems to be having things together but actually you have, you have no idea so it's coming with any conversation with a place of empathy and understanding and not comparing yourself so I know I've, I haven't really answered the original question, but it's it's just a constant. How do you stay aware of things? How do you develop? How do you get, get feedback from the right place at the right time in small little steps, and then and then work on it every day? Because you can't do much more than that. 
I don't believe. Well, I'm, I'm sure you can, but that's something you can do easily every day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I, yeah, I can definitely relate with that. Um, I think, f- you know, feedback or, or getting input back from other people is one of the most valuable things you can receive, even though it's probably the most threatening things that you can, you know, get from other people because immediately your amygdala fires up and you're kind of in this fight or flight mode. And oftentimes, you know, we, we fight against that feedback saying, actually, here are five different reasons why it happened that way, or this is why I did it this way, whatever the situation is. But when you, when, when you shift your mindset and think about feedback as an opportunity to grow, as, as you're saying, um, and truly a gift from, from some other, uh, from other people trying to help you, then, then your life changes in a way because you start viewing things from more of this mindset of, of growth and learning rather than a fixed mindset where you're stuck with trying to preserve your self-image and prove your ability um, rather than accept new ideas and, and continue to evolve. So um, I, I, I really resonate with that. I think that's really important. When it comes to um, growth and using feedback, I think one of the challenges I struggle with is when I step into a new scenario or situation, I feel like um, you know, a, a bit of a, uh, obviously a novice, but um, maybe even an imposter going into a situation where I feel like, okay, right. I mean, I got this far, but I don't really think I have the abilities right now to do what they're asking me to do. Um, and so I get stuck in my own head um, with this imposter sy- syndrome. You know, ha- do you, do you have that kind of situation come up to you and, and, you know, tell me uh, what, what imposter sy- syndrome, how it shows up for you? Yeah, I, I think I, if there were two things, I think two pieces of advice I would give to anyone, you know, probably when you're starting your career specifically or just generally, I think it's the two things is that I think everyone is making shit up constantly. Mm-hmm. You know, everyone is just making things up and don't, they don't know as much as you think they know for sure. Nobody knows as much as you think they know, right? They know more about some things than you than other things, but then there are, you know, there's always things that you know more about than people, right? There's always something where you're, a little bit more of an expert and it's you know you can hold that conceptually but it still challenges you in practice i think the second thing is not completely related to this is but is that everything was built by someone so every you look around and everything was conceived and built by just a, a person who had an idea who then got some other people and they're like yeah let's try this and then went ahead and did that and so when you're looking at other people going, you know, how do they do that? They were at one point in the same place as you were. They're like, yeah, you know, maybe that might work. That might not, you know, maybe it's a naivety or it's a, yeah, it's a sort of blind ignorance or just a complete overestimation of your own abilities that then comes true because you just keep plugging away and plugging away and plugging away and being and, and persevering at something. Um, but I think those two things, you know, everyone's making it up. So, you know, you make it up to the best of your ability with what you know and, and try some things. And then also everything was made by someone. Um, but I know, you know, lots of situations you go, you look around, you're like, you know, I, uh, I probably know the least amount in this room, which might be true. It rarely is. Um, but, you know, you ask some good questions and you, <laughs> you try to find out what you don't know, you know, for one. Um, I'm trying to think where it's 
manifested myself recently. Um, well, I think also, you know, you, you sometimes, or at least I do, I underestimate things that I've done in the past because it's not underestimate, but you forget what you've actually done and how to you, you've gone through it and you're like, okay, I've done that, you know, for the book, the book, for example, you know, mm-hmm. like it, we wrote, wrote a book, wasn't that long a book, but you know, we finished it and self-published it. It sold probably like 37 copies, but finished it. And so to the outside, it's like, oh man, he, he wrote a book. And I'm like, well, yeah, we finished it. It, wasn't, it didn't go that well, but it, it's, actually, it's actually a pretty big deal to write something, push it through, design it, get it out there. Mm-hmm. And then I think what hit me is that when you sort of listed off these things that you find you know, impressive or exciting or nice about me, I'm like, that's pretty nice. Like, I, I like hearing that. And it, it is cool, the things that I, I have done. And you shouldn't underestimate things that you've done because they're pretty cool. Um, and so I, I think sometimes you get imposter syndrome when I read through, you know, the 10, 15 minute um, overview document that you sent. And I was like, oh, what am I going to, what am I going to talk about? I don't you know. What's, what's interesting that, that I could possibly talk about. And then, and then you start talking, you go, okay, actually, I do know a little bit about that. I do know a little bit about that. And it's its own personal experience, but it's pretty fun. And it might, as you said, if one person is inspired to do something differently, you know, through this philosophy, then, then that's great. Um, but I think, you know, constantly get imposter syndrome. And I think a lot of people do. Unless you're like a sociopath or completely overestimating your your abilities, which is a dangerous thing also, right? Sometimes it, it works and sometimes it, it is dangerous. Yeah. Oh, I think one of the hardest parts that um, I struggle with and I think many people um, can relate to is just pressing the ship button, you know, to ship the project yes. <laughs> out and get it out there because it, it means you're, you're exposed, right? You're, it means that right. your your work is out there for people to interact with use um even even judge right um not that that part really matters but it's it's out there in the world um what did it take for you to have the courage to put the book out there what was the conversation in your head <laughs> you know I, I don't know if eleanor roosevelt said you know most people don't if you knew how little people cared about what you're doing, you wouldn't care so much or, or some, something like that. Right? right. So you, you know, I've worked on this thing and I'm like, I'm going to put it out there and everyone's going to think I'm an idiot. Most people are so preoccupied with their own stuff. You know, they don't really care what you're doing. You know, they'll help and they'll, you know, they'll, they, you know, they'll be nice about it, but you know, you put it out there. What's the worst that can happen? It doesn't sell any. You move on. Right. And you really have to separate your ego from it. Because writing a book, anyone can write a book, actually. You know, the, the barrier to entry is very low these days. So you can write anything you want, self-publish it, and it's very easy to do. And so finishing it and doing something and getting shit, pushing, pushing it out. And I, I, I love that you always have your just ship it poster in the background. Um, People can't see it, but I have a poster in the background. That's a play yes. on Nike. And instead of just do it, it says just ship it. And it's always been up there for all the conversations I've ever had with Peter. That's normally in the background, <laughs> back, you know, in his office. And um, and that's a good thing because if you don't ship it, you never know, right? It's just an idea in your head. And so now I know that that's out there. It did some things, but it meant, okay, you know, you can get it out there. You're still alive. Nobody, you know, came and told you you're an idiot, right? You're you're still, still fine. Um, and so I think it was finally just being like, 
if I don't sh- if I don't send this outfit, I'm just gonna try- it's gonna drive me nuts because it dragged on forever. It dragged on for like 18 months, and I got in a, you know got in an argument with Andre because we were co-writing it at Christmas 2017. Realized you know actually this is this was very stressful. This is why we didn't work together in the end. Uh, and, uh, and then we like, I parked it, and then I think I was in the states actually on a trip. I don't know what I was doing. I was just in, I think I was in Boston seeing some friends, and I then sat and wrote for a little bit. I was like, just have, just have to get this done. Like, what what's the point of doing it if you're not going to send it out there? It just doesn't it doesn't mean anything if it just sits on your desk because it doesn't have any value beyond the time you've put into it, and it doesn't impact anyone. It might not impact anyone, but you never know until you do it, right? And this mm-hmm. is why you're doing the podcast because you just don't know what's going to happen unless you do it, put it out there, which is the big first step. Mm-hmm. And part of it too must have been an opportunity, again, going back to learning and growing. It's it's about, I'd imagine it was finding your voice in a way, right? Like the shipping part is great. It takes a lot of courage. But I think the work you put in the process to just get to a point where we have a fully written out book that that entire experience is is extremely valuable in understanding and clarifying your concepts that you wanted to share with the world. So, even if it did end up selling, you know, um, a couple dozen copies, uh, it's it's really about feels like what you learned from that process. And I think that's the other thing: it's the finding out what you learned from the process. So the next time, if I write another book. I won't do it in the same way at all. You know, it took me way longer than it should have. You know, I would have sketched out the ideas differently. I would have done the concept differently. I would have mapped out chapters. I would have done an overview before diving in. There's so many different things that I would have done differently. Mm. Um, and you get better at things, don't you? So totally. Yeah. Um, a couple of questions before we wrap up. Um, first question is, uh, what does ikigai mean to you? The word that comes to mind is deliberateness. I don't know if that's a word. Being mm-hmm. deliberate, I suppose. Um, and we talked about it briefly before we started recording, but it was around I'm commuting every day now, four out of five days. And being deliberate while commuting is tough because for two hours of my day, I sort of go on autopilot leave the house, walk up the stairs, down the stairs, on the tube, turn right, turn left, jubilee line, turn right. And so how do you maintain a level of deliberateness even when you're quite set in your routine? So recognizing it, I think, is one thing. So recognizing how to be deliberate beyond um, just the things that you're doing every day. And, 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 and living, you know, I think that word purpose comes up a lot, but it's sort of, you know, why are you doing things? Do you enjoy doing it? And, and and making the most of every day. And I know I don't every day, but um, staying present with what you're doing and trying to stay present. And even though you're on the tube, can you actually go, okay, I'm not going to sit down this today. I'm going to stand up and actually I'm going to notice people. And the other day I was singing, not singing, because I wasn't actually singing, but I was like mouthing all the words and someone looked at me and smiled. And it's, you know, it's that kind of thing where it's mixing it up as well and being deliberate. So I, I, I know that's a terrible definition, but um, I, I, yeah. Um, last question is, what surprises you the most from this conversation? <laughs> I think I, I talked about it during the interview and, and before, but it's like, actually, I do have a lot of interesting things to talk about. And 
from the outside, I probably look like a pretty interesting person. I don't always think I am that interesting and doing interesting things, but what you realize, and I think what the word learning is from that is that life is long and short. And actually when you do some fun, try some things, you travel, you talk to people, you build connections over a lifetime, you're going to do a lot of interesting things. It might not feel like it today or next week or the next month. But if I look back over the last year, what I've done and how, you know, and you know, obviously people listening to this don't know me, but if you talked to me this time last year, my energy would have been different. I, you know, I was doing different things. I was enjoying myself, but it wasn't fully stretching me because of a number of circumstances. But, you know, you can make a shift and it might not uh, materialize today or tomorrow, but, you know, next year you go, actually, wow, this time last year, I wasn't that energetic. I wasn't, you know jumping out of bed or what you know whatever it is and and you could you could hear it and and people that you talk to are much more receptive to that than yourself and so noticing those changes and and i think i'm just gonna one extra thing is i moved back to the uk almost three years ago now uh to be closer to my family and spend more time with them and i am and i'm spending more time with them and i'm seeing more friends and you go actually i wanted to do this i did it and i'm doing it Right. Mm -hmm. And I'm, I'm seeing them and I'm seeing them regularly and I'm spending time with them. And you go, actually, that's because of something I decided to do and I put into practice. And so what are the things that you actually you do want to change? And I'm not thinking, you know, change your life and get out and do whatever, because that's just, you know, it's a cop out. But it's uh, what is one thing you don't like? Is it do you hate your sock collection? And I'm saying that because I can see my sock poking over the top of my laptop screen. But like, actually, when you put your socks on, do you hate them? Right. Actually, why do I have all these socks? Can you get three pairs of socks that you really like and get rid of the other ones? And then you're like, actually, that's a nice thing that I've changed. And and so I know that's a terrible example, but it's like you can make really small changes that you're going to go, actually, I'm really happy I did that. And then it gives you like some energy to go do something else. It doesn't have to be big things. I mean, that I, and I did that with my socks. I had socks that I really don't didn't like, and I'd go in there and I'd be like, why do I have these socks? I changed it, and I'm like, I love my socks. So it's a terribly small example, but it doesn't have to be a big, important, life-changing change, does it? It can be stupid things. So, yeah. yeah. I love it. <laughs> um, I think, you know, deliberateness or, or intentionality, like that's critical if you want to make a change in your life. And um, it starts there, right? If you don't have a direction you're going in, you're always going to be lost on the map. Um, but as long as you pick up direction you want to go in, you have a chance at reaching where you want to go. So great advice, great conversation. Thank you, Andrew, for, for your time. If there's any uh, way that people, if they want to keep in touch with you or connect on um, in the interwebs, what's the best way for them mm -hmm. to do that? Um, I have a website. It's andrewspear.co.uk. Um, I think there's contact details on there, but if not, I'll check after this. Um, LinkedIn is also very good. So Andrew Spear, and I work for a company called PCA. Um, so you can find me on there. Uh, I think that those are the two best ways to, to keep in touch. Thank you, Andrew. Appreciate you sharing some of your ikigai and experiences with us. Thanks, Peter. I've really enjoyed this. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Ikigai Project. Thank you to Hugh for the theme music. And take good care for now, everyone. <laughs>